HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Brian Kenny, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, they've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. This week, I am not Kat Johnson, Communications Director at Heritage Radio Network. I am actually Katie Mosman-Wadler, the Executive Director, and my guest co-host is Hannah Forden, our Program Manager. Who is definitely not Katie Mosman-Wadler or Kat Johnson, but very happy to be here. I feel like I haven't been here for happy hour in, like, months. It feels that way. I, I feel... Everything's, you know, back as it should be. I'm back in studio with you. I know, but we're missing Kat. I know. We're almost there. Next week, we'll have a trifecta. Thank the Lord. But we're also <laughs> joined by our amazing intern, Ariyama Long. Say hi. Hi. Um, Amanda Wang in the booth, <laughs> making us all sound great. Hello. And a very special guest joining us today, Lou Fiddler. Hi, Lou. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. Lou is a veteran of um, New York City politics, and we'll learn a lot more about his um, history in New York and what he's been working on recently, shortly. But first, we will hear some announcements. The first announcement is that it's a little bit chilly outside. It's, it's nippy noodles. Um, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, so a lot of our stuff that we were going to do today um, did not happen due to cold. We, however, were here and we thank everybody who has trekked out to join us at various HRN activities today, including everybody who did shows. Truly. The heat's on in the shipping container, so we're doing fine. And uh, I'm planning to probably just uh, spend the night here so that I don't have to go back outside to walk home from the train. Um, that seems like a totally reasonable plan. There's pizza here. We yeah. are pretty much all set. We got a fully stocked bar, good company. I yeah. mean, what else do you need? What do you need? Um, so the other uh, kind of kind of big news that uh, you might have noticed from our last program is that this is HRN's 10th anniversary. We are kicking it off. And um, I want to let you know, last week we teased a big announcement. Um, the news is going to come directly into your inbox on Saturday. So if you are not yet a follower of our email newsletter, please... 
please go to heritageradionetwork.org and in the bottom right hand corner or through the pop-up that will probably pop up on your screen you can sign up to be part of our email newsletter for the biggest news of 2019 and uh, we can't wait to share this with you we're doing some tweaks to the website to make this big reveal possible so stay tuned and hang in there Um, we're now going to jump into a couple of quick headlines before we move on to our interview with Lou Fiddler This week on A Taste of the Past, Linda Palaccio welcomed award-winning cookbook author Dara Goldstein. 25 years ago, she introduced a generation of cooks to the culture and cuisine of Georgia the country in her book, The Georgian Feast, which has just been re-released as an updated anniversary edition. We're all about the anniversaries right now. Also, um, just side anniversary note, Civil Eats is also celebrating their tenure. So Civil Eats listeners, we are so excited to be celebrating with you and we should get together and talk about some cross festivities that we might be able to do. Yeah, it's been a good decade for food media. Um, And another um, fun thing happened this week. Andrew Talks to Chef welcomed Angela Dimayuga this week. Angela is the creative director of food and culture for Standard International. Um, The chef, she, uh, excuse me, she gained recognition for her time at Mission Chinese and shared her origins um, of her interest in cooking as a child in San Jose, California. And Snacky Tunes got in the New Year spirit this year with this month with nine-time guest Michael Whiteman, a.k.a. the Dean of Restaurant Consultants. He shared his annual food trends report, so stay tuned. Also, check out this week's episode of Meat and 3 coming out on Friday tomorrow um, so that you can hear a little bit more about our take on these annual food trends. Let that be suspenseful. (laughs) Yeah, we're trendy as always. Yes. Um, And now we're going to move into our uh, interview with Lou. Um, So Lou began his career in the 46th District of New York City Council um, and has been a lawyer, a campaign manager, um, and most recently, uh, Lou spearheaded an initiative with the Brooklyn Borough President's Office to ban the use of styrofoam containers throughout New York City, which we're super excited about. You didn't? That that's not really well, what. Correct. That's, that's no, what absolutely happened. correct uh, me. <laughs> uh, actually, I spent 12 years uh, as a member of the New York City Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, that term ended at the end of 2013, um, when, with the passing of my last bill, which was banning the use of single-use styrofoam in the city of New York. Excellent. Uh, it took five years to wend its way through the courts and be sustained and go into effect. Um, And there's been a lot of activity on that. And on January 1st of this year, the ban on single-use styrofoam went into effect. I do work part-time for the Brooklyn Borough President. Um, you know, but th- this was actually going back to my council days. Oh, wow. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's crazy to hear it takes five years for something like that to actually come to fruition. Well, there were mistakes made along the mm. way. Uh, the bill required the Department of Sanitation in New York, the commissioner, to make a determination uh, that styrofoam was not recyclable, mm. um, which it's not. I mean, you can recycle anything, but at what cost and in, to what market and to what effect. Um, styrofoam had almost no uses, almost no ability to be collected efficiently, uh, and uh, certainly there was no aftermarket mm-hmm. for it. And uh, when the uh, commissioner made their first determination, uh, after I was out of office the following year, uh, it was less than spectacular. 
um, and the industry, which has spent millions of dollars fighting us, uh, going back to spending over a million dollars lobbying against the bill while I was in the council, um, took it to court. Uh, and the first judge agreed with them that the report did not uh, meet the standards of proof that are required in a court of law, that we, the determination was, was valid, and it got sent back for another determination after the appellate courts, uh, this time recognizing that they needed to be a little bit more thorough. Mm. Uh, they did a great job, and uh, the courts upheld the determination. So it, it, that's... That's why it took so long for something that shouldn't have taken so long. Would you be able to give a little bit of background for our listeners who might not be totally familiar with um, how recycling kind of works on a municipal level or especially with like New York City Department of Sanitation? Um, we, you know, we've visited some of the recycling centers um, along kind of the waterways in Brooklyn. Um, but for people who don't know, what's talk about like the market for Recycling and what does a municipality do to determine whether or not certain items will be recycled? Okay, so recycling is a curb to a, you know end product uh, process in the city of New York. Um, in front of my house, I will have one can for uh, plastics, hard plastics. Uh, I was the original sponsor of the bill that created that program as well. Uh, we'll have a bag. A, 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 ba a basket for paper, um, paper goods and cardboard, and then for general trash. Um, and they will be picked up twice a week uh, by the Department of Sanitation. The recyclables are kept separately. Uh, they uh, get brought to the recycling center that I'm sure you saw uh, near uh, Western Brooklyn Shore. Uh, and then it has to be separated um, and cleaned, quite frankly. You have to make sure that you're not putting in with things that you're going to process, things that should not be processed, that dilute the product so that it can't be properly recyclable, uh, recycled. The uh, styrofoam, you know, even in its best incarnation, um, would crumble when it was put into the truck. I mean, you think about it for a second. You have a styrofoam, you know, coffee cup. Try putting seven tons of pressure on that and imagining it won't come out on the back end mm. as little itty-bitty pieces, mm -hmm. um, which clearly it would. But if styrofoam is contaminated by any use, it becomes un unrecyclable, right? So that coffee cup, unless you washed it out before you tossed it into the recycling bin, would not have been recyclable anyway. You get food in a container... Right, it's not recyclable unless you wash it out, and the you know the difficulty of getting people, even true believers, mm -hmm. um, to do those things, just when it's you know simpler to just toss it in the can, is pretty pretty tough, and then it's got to get shipped someplace where it's going to be put to use. I mean, the hard plastics have to be processed to become whatever it's going to be the end product. Um, paper. And this is not happening in Brooklyn, right? I mean, I think we picture like, oh, I, I send my peanut butter jar to the recycling facility and it, and there it gets turned into another jar or there it gets something happens. But it, that's not really what's happening, is it? No, no. But it is all processed and packed 
and packaged for transfer someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, the styrofoam industry tried to tell us that uh, they were going to open recycling centers where we could send that stuff. And we said, well, what are you going to make with it? And they showed us like a little picture frame or a little ruler and said, well, you can do this. And like, you know, what? What's the market for that? Those those items sell for thirty seven cents anyway. Right. Is is this just creating like more of a stream of like kind of dollar store junk? It, it's not, not like... even because what <laughs> what ultimately happens to things that are in the recycling stream that uh, cannot be sold is they wind up exactly where we didn't intend them to be, which is in the landfill. Mm. Um, and uh, you know the whole purpose behind. Uh, you know, banning styrofoam, which is not practically recyclable and is not biodegradable. I think when Mayor Bloomberg, because, you know, this was the last month of his term as well as mine, signed the legislation, you know, I pointed out that at the end of the earth, there will be cockroaches and styrofoam. Oh, lovely. Right? That's what will be left, uh -huh. right? That's what will be left. And, uh, you know, not a pretty thought, right? No, um, no good. The amount of styrofoam in our oceans uh, is uh, abysmal. Studies of the waterways around New York show, you know, that the, you know one of the major contaminants that we find in our waterways was styrofoam that was just sitting there and was never going to go anywhere being eaten by whatever fish we do have uh, in our waterways, not very nutritious. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, the, you know, it, it's a replaceable product. It's not, it's not like we can't live without styrofoam. We, you know, how many times do you get something? It's not just food either, by the way. You know, you, you, you know mm -hmm. within the city, you cannot send something with packing peanuts anymore. All right? Uh, you really need packing peanuts, or can we use some of that paper that you're going to recycle, mm -hmm. uh, or something that I see a lot of now, like the air-inflated bags? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. And by the way, why they need to have such big boxes sometimes for such little things, I'm not really sure about that either. But <laughs> you know, that seems to be the way they're doing business. I mean, it, it's you can live without styrofoam and live better without styrofoam. Who are some of the biggest? users of styrofoam in New York City and what sort of resistance did you run into when this was proposed? You know, uh, I think most of the major uh, people that would be expected to use foam, McDonald's, um, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, indicated a willingness and some voluntarily just stopped using it. Wow. Just um, like that. If, you know, I know this is you know, antithetical to, to the radio station, but if you went into McDonald's uh, 10 years ago and ordered a Big Mac or a Quarter Pounder, you got it in a styrofoam clamshell. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. It it's hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the, the resistance... Did any of them, um, like the Dunkin' Donuts and the McDonald's of the world, um, sort of give any indication of whether it was better for their bottom line to switch to paper before the legislation passed? Past, excuse me. Uh, I believe that it it was indifferent to their bottom line. Huh. Um, the replacement products uh, for styrofoam usage are economically feasible. Um, the resistance came exclusively from the styrofoam industry. 
Really? Uh, the leader in the styrofoam industry is a company called Dart. Uh, Dart spent $1.2 million trying to lobby against this legislation when I was in the council. Wow. They're the ones who were the plaintiff that dragged it out for five years. It's their business. It's their industry. I get it. But they knew that if we did it in New York, it was going to be done elsewhere as well. Mm. And they kept on telling us where it could be recycled, how it could be recycled. I had a staff member. Uh, I'm going to mention his name because he deserves it, a guy named Brad Reed, who put the lie to every single one of their claims and made sure that every member of the council understood that what they were being handed was a line of bull. And, uh, you know, uh, I, they, they spent a lot of money. I give, I give my colleagues who were on the council with me at that time a lot of credit for seeing past the lobbying. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I imagine that uh, there was nobody kind of on the other side of that to necessarily match that level of expenditure. Um, I had uh, the volunteers at the National, National Resources Defense Council um, and the truth. Yep. Um, well, armed with the truth, I'm glad that you came out this side of it. <laughs> uh, I'm very curious to know um, sort of when I picture where I see styrofoam in the city a lot, um, you know, one of the first thing that comes to mind is the halal carts serving um, meat and rice on a styrofoam clamshell. And I'm curious if there was um, like an impact study done prior or if you heard anything kind of pro or con from those small business operators, especially uh, running food trucks in the city, about how the ban would affect them. Well, that's actually kind of interesting because one of the ways that DART spent their money mm -hmm. was they funded an organization that they created called the Restaurant Alliance. And these mm -hmm. were the people, you know, who supposedly ran the bodegas um, and uh, the food carts. Um, and so they, they were presenting this sympathetic front, right, without really disclosing to everybody that they were funded 100% by the styrofoam industry. Wow. And so the things that they were saying um, sort of, you know, can you say you're really hearing from the bodega owners? If you're hearing from a leadership group that's being funded 100% by, uh, you know, the industry, hmm. uh, we knew that the fact of the matter is you can replace that clamshell with a uh, uh, an economic economically viable product. And by the way, even if at the beginning it's an extra penny a piece, by the time it falls into common use and, and it's being produced more or whatever the alternative is, the price is going to come down. It's going to be the same. Um, we were able to find that they were funding the Restaurant Alliance because we would go to the filings that are required under the, you know lobbying disclosure laws and seeing that the person who created the entity was affiliated with the same lobbying firm that was being employed by DART. Mm -hmm. So uh, ultimately, that didn't stand them terribly well when it was, uh, you know, when they were exposed for that either. Yeah, it's uh, not um, a very like compelling story once you follow the dollars. Um, so now that it's passed, what has the response been um, that that you've been hearing? So. Unfortunately, in the process of passing this, we, we gave all kinds of, um, I call it, uh, 
spoonfuls of sugar uh, <laughs> to help the medicine go down. So as of now, while it is illegal, it is not finable uh, for another six months. So you don't hear, you know, when people's pocketbooks are not being affected because they're getting a ticket for doing something they shouldn't do, um, you don't hear much of a shriek. Um, so right now, if you walk into uh, a store and they're using uh, illegal styrofoam products, they get a warning. All right. So I haven't heard any complaints yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when people start to get tickets, uh, you know, and hopefully they won't, because hopefully the warning will be a word to the wise mm-hmm. uh, and people will understand that it's the right thing to do anyway. Um, but when, when fines start coming, there'll be somebody who's going to bellyache about it because this is New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there will be someone. Um, I'm curious to know more about uh, kind of your personal background and what drove you to have um, kind of this focus on sustainability and sanitation in your career. Um, kind of at, at what point did you know you were heading in that direction? And, and at what point did you know that you were going to be spending a lot of time thinking about foam? You know, I, got, I have to tell you, I've been involved in civics and politics my entire life. Um, you know, I started in politics when I was eight years old, and um, it was just something that interested me. I didn't run for the city council saying, I am going to be uh, the guy who uh, increases recycling and uh, uh, fights, uh, you know, for styrofoam or any of the other things that uh, I've done that, you know, I'm proud of. Um, Issues present themselves. Uh, You try to think intelligently. I know that uh, I was interested in curbside recycling in the city when I was in high school and years before, many years before I got to the city council. Um, And, uh, you know, look, you have to understand that you're being elected to office for a purpose. And it's not to just collect a check and go home. Um, Politics is a means to an end. The end is government, good government, hopefully. Um, So, you know, I spent every minute of the 12 years I was privileged to be on the council trying to make a difference. And this is something that I believe will affect all of us for years to come. And uh, I'm I'm very proud of it. Awesome. Well, we're grateful for the contribution. Um, As far as um, kind of other initiatives that are you know, meaningful and, and important that, that you might be helping to propel now. What else are you working on with your role with the Brooklyn Democratic Party? What are you thinking about um, for the future? Well, you know, it's it's kind of varied and very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that uh, the Brooklyn Borough President, uh, for whom I uh, do a variety of things, including policy work, um, has permitted me um, because so much of our agenda is similar, uh, to work on certain things that are extremely important to me. One of the things that um, I worked on extensively on the city council, I was the chair of the Youth Services Committee for 12 years, uh, was making sure that uh, runaway and homeless youth, which were uh, youth who were on the streets, unaccompanied, um, had a place of shelter and in a way to transition uh, into becoming productive, tax-paying, healthy citizens. Um, that was you know, one of the most meaningful things that I, I worked on. I think I held 
something like 25 hearings over the course of the year, maybe more, maybe 35, on that issue to promote shelter. And I continue to do that work through Borough President Derek Adams. Uh, he's, you know, very supportive. We're on the same, you know, same page as far as that's concerned. Um, I've done a lot of work, uh, and I did a lot of work on the council uh, regarding the mortgage foreclosures. Um, in the, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, The Big Short. Yeah. Okay, great movie. There was a character they referred to in that movie as Chicken Little. I am convinced <laughs> that I am Chicken Little, except oh, yeah. except not in the finance industry because that's where where I, that wasn't where I was. Couple of years, uh, I'm a practicing attorney. I, you know, used to do closings and whatnot, and I saw what product was being offered to people, um, and I predicted that this was the balloon was going to burst. Uh -huh. The movie Chicken Little had just come out, so I sent a flyer to my colleagues with my head on the body of Chicken Little, <laughs> and said, you know, the sky is Look falling. Familiar. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> And, and I said, you know, this is going to hit. Let's put mortgage foreclosure prevention services into effect wow. uh, before, uh, before the, you know, it hits the fan. Uh, and we did. Uh, and that became a, one of the, the largest uh, homeowner uh, you know, assistance programs that still exists. Uh, and now in my legal practice, I'm doing a lot of work uh, defending uh, some of the foreclosures that were uh, commenced in 2007 and 8, uh, where the banks were taking people's property without even serving them legal papers. So those are some of the things I'm still, still working on. Awesome. Um, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we will be back with a bit more of our interview, and then we're going to subject you to a round of HRN trivia. Oh, goody. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. Tucked in a 640-square-foot shipping container space in the heart of Denver's Rhino neighborhood, Cart Driver is the perfect place to stop in for an Italian-style spritz, Prosecco on tap, and a wide variety of tinned fish. Open for lunch, dinner, community hour, and late night seven days a week, Cart Driver is here for you with fresh, domestically sourced ingredients and above all, hospitality. Learn more at cart-driver.com. Welcome back. This is HRN Happy Hour, and today we have a wonderful guest in studio in studio with us. Our guest is Lou Fittler, New York City Council veteran and practicing attorney, and uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the recently passed styrofoam single-use styrofoam ban in New York. Um, and we're just uh, a few minutes away from putting you through a round of trivia, but um, we wanted to know if you what, do you have any favorite things to eat that are typically served in those styrofoam clamshells. Uh, I have too many favorite things to eat. Uh, there's no question about it. Good thing this is not TV. Otherwise, I'd, my, my qualifications sit before me. Um, but uh, anything that I like to eat that would come in styrofoam mm -hmm. can come in something else. That's right. 
well, I, I was very, you, you said you worked on the curbside recycling. Um, I was incredibly delighted when um, a year and a half or so ago in my building in the East Village, we got um, compost pickup. Um, I was super excited about that. I wonder if that sort of faced any similar levels of like legislative barriers or, or like procedural drama that you know of that was similar to passing the styrofoam ban? Not in, not in the least. Uh, that's a program that's actually being phased in. I have a compost uh, can as well. I left it out when we were talking about the others because it's uh, not a mandatory program. When something's not mandatory, there tends to be less kickback. <laughs> Um, you know, why are you guys interfering with my life and making me do something? Uh-huh. And here we're just relying on people's better angels to do the, the right thing, I think. Yeah. Um, and how, how do you think overall New York City residents are doing with sort of environmental awareness and, and uh, hearing their own better angels? I think we're improving. I mean, the statistics on compliance with... The mandatory recycling uh, programs is, you know, never what you'd want to see, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's, you know, it's mostly residential that, um, you know, and mostly private home residential. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I go into my office building and I uh, have that bottle, that you know, plastic bottle that I got my water in, um, you know, to take with me on the way to work. There's no recycling bin for me to put it in. It, mm-hmm. It's, you know, you have to make a conscious, you know, effort to find one because my office building doesn't have mandatory recycling. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we have a long way to go, but I think the, you know, population in general is a lot more receptive to it, uh, especially when it doesn't cost them any money. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a genera- generational change coming and are younger people more willing to sort of adapt, or do you think it's across the board uh, more awareness? Well, I think, you know, the environmental movement, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, started long enough ago so that, uh, you know, my generation uh, is is open to it and amenable to it and participating in it. Uh, whether or not younger people are, are participating more or less, I haven't seen any studies that would show me that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, I, I'd love to see that. But, uh, you know, education has been the one thing that tends to improve uh, re- rates of recycling. Uh, it gets the compliance rates up, gets the, um, the contamination rate of what's put in a recycling bin down. Um, and uh, the Department of Sanitation in New York works on that. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I, I think... Um I want to feel like we're kind of on the edge of a tidal wave of engagement. Um, but I think we also, you know, we have to look at the data and see where are we at and, and what are we facing. Um, so with that, I, I just want to say thank you for your great work. And uh, we're, we're really excited about some of the new legislation, uh, particularly with, with ties to food, um, which include also, of course, the minimum wage increase to $15 in New York that's becoming effective this year. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to pass the mic over to Ariyama for our uh, round of HR and trivia. trivia. So we haven't seen the questions uh, for this one. So we are in it with you if you want to phone a friend. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, have, I have literally no idea what's about to happen. Okay, here we go. What year 
did New York City's Department of Sanitation first mandate recycling? Who's <laughs> making a face that is just totally wasted on radio, but it is a face of woe. <laughs> I'm I'm lucky I can remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> what year? Can we have a hint? Like which half of the which half of the twentieth century? Uh, it's How many people in this room were born when? None of us. None of none us. of us. Oh, none. <laughs> none. Huh? You're saying mandated? I guess it would be paper recycling because that was the first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like first time they even remotely thought about recycling in this city. Well, since it was founded. Okay, so <laughs> that's a, that that changes the question a little bit. Um, we had some recycling in the city, maybe as far back as 1969, 68. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Technically, it was 1895. What? <laughs> what was the case study? It was one of the first commissioners he put it into effect. Um, second part of that question. What did the city do with most of the waste before 1895? Burned it. No? I mean, people Didn't threw it in the river? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> really? Oh, God. 75% oh, no. of the city's waste had been dumped directly into the Atlantic Ocean before the, 19, before the 1890s. Wow. And follow that there, up. Baby. <laughs> and also, not at all. <laughs> to follow that up, name parts of the of the city built on trash or landfills? A great deal of it. (laughs) Starrett City or Spring Creek, Battery City. um, Isn't Staten Island a land pretty much? A good part of Staten Island. Really? Staten Island. No way. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Parts of Manhattan are on on landfill. And parts of every borough of the city of New York are on landfill. Wow. Yep. Um, district that I represented in the city council was probably half landfill. Wow. Uh, Canarsie, um, Bergen Beach, Mill Island. Um, you know, I don't know how detailed an answer you got there, but <laughs> nope. uh, you th- got th- some of the main ones. Some of the big ones that most people don't know about is parts of Staten Island, Battery Park in Manhattan, Rikers Island, and it's entirety, wow. uh, parts wow. of FDR Drive, and Ellis Island. Wow. <laughs> totally built Our on trash. Our ancestors came in on a big trash heap. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, here's neighborhood trivia. When did King's Plaza Mall open? Okay. Um, 19... I'm going to say 68. Oh, you're so close. 69? <laughs> so yeah. close. 1970. Okay. Oh, I think that's a win. That's, that's respectable. I would count that as a, as a credit. And what is the preferred nickname for Manhattan Fish, a favorite of Jamaica Bay? Of what Wait, kind of fish? Say it again. Exactly. The official name for it is Manhattan, which is also striped bass, but there's a nickname for it in Jamaica Bay. So in Jamaica Bay, what is striped bass known as? Mm-hmm. See if anybody can guess it. Is this like particular to food, or like when you're eating it? Specifically, like when you're on Canarsie Pier and people are fishing for this type of fish, oh, they, my husband this is what they refer this. to as. He fishes for bass in the East River. <laughs> Chris, are you listening? Call me. Call me right now. <laughs> I only know because like I live right next to Canarsie, so they always. It's not talk the about sh- it. it's not the sheep's head, is it? It's not the sheep's head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, not like not an obvious nickname like Striper. 
It's something really weird. Okay, I want to know. I want to know. Okay. So they call it Peanut Bunker. Peanut Bunker. Peanut Bunker. Why? Which is small adolescent striped bass or Manhattan fish. Because they look like peanuts when they're little? I don't know. Maybe they're they're, sm- they're yeah, juvenile and yeah. they like pop up under the water, so they like jump around like little peanuts. Uh, I'm gonna have to <laughs> ask some of my Jamaican brothers and sisters yeah, if yeah, that's yeah. real. <laughs> I've never heard it. it. Never heard it. You'll have to get back to us. Walk along that. the pier, do it. Ask them. All right. What are you fishing for? <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> And that concludes my trivia. Well, nice you. job. Good <laughs> trivia. I feel like I got smarter, actually, in this round of trivia. Sometimes I question it. Um, but that it's, was really yeah, good. It's good to know we Louis, might you be did an excellent on. job. I'm very impressed. Oh, <laughs> well, it was, I, I kept on thinking I was supposed to say what is, but... Um, oh, no, we're not that... Yeah. We're not sticklers <laughs> for... <laughs> no no uh, Trebek <laughs> mustaches in this room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we... But it, the thing about HR and trivia is that everybody's a winner every yeah. week. No matter what. Yes. No matter what happens. Um, but we're so glad to have had you. Thank you, and congratulations for winning trivia. And uh, we hope <laughs> that you'll come back and join us again sometime here at HRN. Thank you. Was, uh, this was the hour to be happy. I'm happy to be here. Yes, and Thanks congratulations on your first trip to Bushwick. <laughs> oh, right. I've been to Bushwick. Oh, okay. <laughs> not you know, to Bushwick. Okay. Not to Moore Street Got in it. Bushwick. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, welcome so. to Moore Street. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks all so much. We'll see you next Thursday for our next installment of HRN Happy Hour. And don't forget to stay tuned to our email newsletter on Saturday. Big news coming. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening.